Actually, welcome back to Shoot Me Straight with Eddie and Dave. Today we have a an amazing guest, uh, a character nonetheless, Byron Baplay. And uh, we met through uh, some training down at Stronghold Soft Solutions. Um, and I got to know Byron over the past, or over two weeks. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he's a character and soft-spoken. Um, just oh, yeah. Doesn't have much to say. Ever. Yeah. No, man, but I, I, got, to know, I got to know you and I got to know what you're about and, uh, you know, I was looking up everything that, that you are attached to, and I think it's awesome. Uh, I, I think what you stand you. for is is awesome. It's what we all sort of stand for. So yeah. it's uh, it's an honor to have you on here. I'm glad, oh, glad you Thank took you the time yeah, to come down and uh, sort of let the audience know about you, um, sort of your past, and then what you're doing now. <laughs> yeah, oh, Lord, here we go. <laughs> yeah, stay, <laughs> buckle up. Full effect. <laughs> Fire for effect. <laughs> So I don't I don't know very much of your background at all, really. <clears throat> so, uh, well, I was uh, you know a little young little homeschooled boy out of Pensacola, Florida. Uh, my whole family was in the military. Uh, grandfathers were in World War II, um, and yeah, it, that was that was kind of what got me going in that direction. Um, always what I wanted to do, um, and then ended up joining Ranger Battalion and realizing that life was. That's <laughs> awesome. We'll keep going. It's yeah. Knock, knock, knock. <clears throat> so, yeah, I, I ended up joining Ranger Battalion and deploying a handful of times with regiment. Um, and, yeah, just I, it's the same story, uh, the GWAT story, the, you know. What, uh, what year did you join? So I got in 2002. So it was okay. 2000. So I joined the army in 2002. Uh, <clears throat> Did you join because of 9/11? Uh, no, 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 not at all. I joined because of my family. Yeah, nothing to do. 9/11 definitely like added uh, some icing to that cake. Yeah. Um, but it was not for. 9/11. Okay. Yeah, I asked that obviously because it's 2002, and most people. Right. Around that era, you asked them, like, oh, yeah, 9-11, you know, I wanted to get in and serve. <clears throat> um, I mean, I joined prior to 9-11, like, uh, in 99, so same. Right. Sounds like the same concept. Same concept, yeah. I, it was a family thing. Wanted to serve my country. Um, <clears throat> obsessed with all the war movies, you know. Uh, wanted to, you know, my grandfather was one of the guys that went into Dachau. Read, he, he wrote a very small book, uh, mostly for the family. Um, so it was pretty, it was, it's just something that tugged at me, you yeah. know? And it was like, I had to do this to find worth as a man, I guess. I don't know. To try myself, test myself, try and true. You know? Yeah, Did you know you wanted to go to the army? Yeah. Uh, actually initially, no. Uh, I almost, uh, pulled an Eddie Gallagher and joined the Marine Corps. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but, uh, last minute, um, I had this guy, his name was Colonel Chambers. He worked with my dad. Uh, I think he's like a legend in the SF community. He was in Vietnam, all kinds of stuff. He's a original uh, Maxog V guy, all this stuff. But he was active duty when I was well, actually he was getting ready to retire. Older than Sin, <clears throat> I don't know how he's still in, but he was like, you know, Byron, what the fuck do you want to do when you grow up? My dad's like, oh my god, this guy. He's one of those dudes. He couldn't say a single sentence without eighteen f words, you know. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I want to do that. <clears throat> and I pointed at this sign, and it was this guy on a horse in the middle of the desert. And uh, 
he's like, well, if you want to do that, you need to do this, 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 and this, and none of which had anything to do with the Marine Corps. So I went to my buddy, my best friend at the time, and I said, hey, I'm not, you know, joining the Marine Corps with you. I'm going to go this route because this person told me that this is the route I need to go, and that's the exact route I went. And out of all of my friends, I was the only one that actually achieved each individual thing up to the, like, I never, I didn't end up going to Delta Force, which was what that photo was. It was a Delta recruiting poster. Oh, yeah. And I didn't end up going there. So, Gotcha. And <coughs> SSF, Special Forces, and... No, I didn't, I was, I was just an Army Ranger. And that's all I did. I, yeah, did that. And then I was an instructor. I wouldn't say that that's all I did. That is what you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. a, that's a pretty big accomplishment in itself. Um, yeah. Absolutely. I think, you know, for the, for the military, I was able to accomplish and achieve everything that I wanted to achieve out of it. Uh, it definitely shaped me for what was to come in my life. Um, I think I'd be a lot worse off if I hadn't done those things because it mentally prepared me that perseverance because <clears throat> it was a lot of different things that kind of prepared me. Like I was diagnosed as a young child with severe dyslexia, a very rare form of it. And uh, my mom, that's actually why she homeschooled me. Because back in the day, if you went to special ed, you couldn't join the military. That was like a recruiting criteria. <laughs> yeah. So I just opened the, the, the floor for jokes. not my experience. Uh, when, I, when I got to the uh, infantry, it was like they only enlisted from special ed. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. but it literally, it prepared me because my mom didn't give up on me. My dad... You know, they, they, they pushed me to be better, at, you know, academically. I was able to overcome that, that disability. Um, so perseverance kind of became my mantra. Um, little did I know perseverance was going to come in a lot heavier later on, obviously with war, um, and then obviously with the struggles I would have later in life. Yeah, for sure. So you enlisted in 2002. Yep. Uh, did you go straight to, uh, obviously, boot camp, and then did you go straight to Rangers No, there was a holdover selection? for holdover at the time because uh, of, like, um, the Black Hawk Down movie and all that. Everybody wanted to be a Ranger. Yeah. That's and, a, uh, one of the best movies, military movies ever made. Yeah, oh, yeah. And um, I thought it was SEAL Team. SEAL Team's not a movie. That's a show. <laughs> no, no. The, the, the SEAL Team. Navy was, SEALs? Navy There you go. I'm sorry. That's why I said it's one of the best. That is the best. <laughs> that's a that's a documentary. So, <laughs> hey, real um, quick, the difference between Army Ranger School and uh, Buds would be Army massively Rangers, different. They focus more on like navigating through. No, land. Ranger School so, is a leadership school. Oh, only. There's nothing ninja about Ranger School. Yeah, like it's an open book test. Um, you get the little ranger handbook, you go and you are learning to like seals go to ranger school all the time. It is a leadership school. Uh, They're not teaching you how to be an expert shooter or some ninja dude out there, uh, karate dudes and all this stuff. That's not what the premise of it is. It's teaching you skill level one and skill level two tasks like raid and planning and all that stuff uh, and, and, and leading. Yeah. Uh, that's it. Buds <clears throat> under extreme duress. Under extreme duress in austere environments. Buds. <laughs> I mean, but buds yeah. is the same. Is it's not a. You're not going to be a ninja out of there either. That more is selection. To, it's a self-selection because uh, you you can't. The instructors can't just drop you. 
you you have to ring out. You can get dropped, um, obviously, if you fail uh, certain evolutions uh, multiple times, but it's you self-select out. So if you quit, that's it. You ring the bell. So it's more, you know, and I'm sure other SEALs have different aspects of what BUDS is, but to me it's it's a grind to pick the best um, dudes that are going to be there at the end that are able to abandon self and embrace team through the most painful, rigorous evolutions. Um, and that's really what it's designed to. It's like here's the core of people who stuck around through all of this and all, each one of them embraces team over self. Um, and that's what they want when they go to the teams. Right. Yeah, I, I think it's – the Navy did it right when they marketed the SEALs. The Army completely jacked up the Ranger community because you have Ranger School, which you could be an X-ray tech in the hospital and go to Ranger School. Um, and you go to Ranger School and like, oh, he's a Ranger. No, he's not. He's Ranger qualified. He got the Ranger tab. He didn't go through – what they call – when I went through, it was called RIP. Uh, now it's called RAS. Ranger it's a Ranger Asset. indoctrination program. Yeah, it was back then. Now it's called Ranger Assessment and Selection Program, RASP uh, for short. And that's what makes you a Ranger. Going to one of the three Ranger battalions and operating as a Ranger um, makes you a Ranger. Yeah. There's lots of Rangers out there, half breeds as some people call them, that went to Ranger battalion, never got their tab. Uh, but to be a leader in Ranger Regiment, to be a team leader, to be a squad leader, to move up the ranks in Ranger Regiment, you have to have your tab. Actually, really, to go to any other school, you have to have your Ranger tab. Oh, got you. So you, it's like, Dave, you want, uh, so like people in the Army can go to Ranger School. So my dad went to Ranger School. Um, <coughs> he was a West Point grad, went to Ranger School. He has the, the tab, but he didn't serve as a Ranger in Ranger Regiment. And after working, I've been working with these guys now for the past couple of years and sort of got to understand their culture and the way it works is if you, there's a Ranger regiment and therefore if you go to, if you work in Ranger regiment as a Ranger, you are considered, that is like a Ranger, like, Hey, you have all the utmost respect right. of a Ranger. But if you go to Ranger school, get your Ranger tab, but then you go off somewhere to a regular infantry unit or wherever else, you're not really, you're not a Ranger. You just been to the school. And most officers have it. Well, I don't know if it still is, but at one point in the army, it was required. So if you're a West Point grad or you're going through the infantry officer basic course, I Bullock, uh, it was required as an officer to have your Ranger tab because it's a leadership school. So if you're a leader, you should have your Ranger tab. Gotcha. So you go, you got through, so you got through Ranger school first time. Yeah, I did. So it's pretty <clears throat> interesting. It was, uh, you know, my big mouth, you know, I, my, my dad was talking to my first sergeant once and, my first sergeant was named Edmund Seeley, and he looked at my dad and says, yeah, your son could definitely be the next sergeant major of the Army if he just learned to shut his fucking mouth. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, and I never quite learned that. Uh, I think I learned to be more tactful, <laughs> you know. But um, my, uh, I got sent to ranger school um, mostly to fail. Um what do you mean by that? So <clears throat> if I if you get in the blue book standard in Ranger Regiment, if you don't go to Ranger School within uh, three years, they RFS you relieve you for standards, meaning kick you out because you didn't meet the Ranger Regiment standard and you only have three years from the time you get to Ranger Regiment to go to Ranger School. Um, and then 
if you fail ranger school, you quit or you get peered out or something like that, you can also get kicked out of ranger regiment. So at the time, my one of my leadership was like, man, <clears throat> this kid's got a big mouth. You know, he passes everything. He's a good shooter. He's a great P-tier, but he's got a big-ass mouth, doesn't know how to shut up, and he's, you know, constantly putting stupid shit before the things that are important, <clears throat> which is true. He's like, I, he'll, he'll never pass ranger school. I went off to ranger school, and I ended up, like, making it through, and they're like, gosh, damn it. So they're like, okay, and then it was like, well, what school do you want next, you know, and then that ended up turning into, like, uh, you know, dive school and all these other schools, and I kept going and succeeding. Um, so that's kind of how I ended up going to all these different schools in the military. Um, but through that process and going through those those learning experiences, I learned to tone myself down. But there are certain things that I didn't like conform to, so I didn't really, you know, I'm not like like in Ranger Regiment. You've heard it, Ranger Games. You mm -hmm. know. We don't, we, we are not a uh, group that people look at the, the, the special operations community and the Rangers like Captain America. We're more like Deadpool, you know, <laughs> you know, because we, we play all these dumb games like, oh, you come out and like, if you don't have something, they'll drop you, make you do pushups. Like, and I never agreed with that. So, and if you didn't do it, you were a hoo hugger. Uh, a hua was like anyone that didn't have their ranger tab or something like that. Oh, if you don't got your tab, hit the slab, flutter kicks. And and it was the ranger regiment's way of trying to um, motivate the younger generation to hurry up and go to ranger, or, I'm sorry, ranger right. school so that that wouldn't happen to them, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I thought it was stupid. And I still do. And I didn't regret it. I wouldn't do it. I'm like, that's, it's completely, like we spent more time hazing dudes than we were training in garrison because i guess there's only so much training you can do so if you're not training we're hazing you know and i just thought it was dumb and so you know it got to a point where you know when i went to dive school i was like all right well if you ain't got your bubble you're in trouble you know I mean, meaning your dive bubble right meaning your dive bubble like yeah. the e badge we called it the bubble the dive it's a um, pin it's a pin that's we called it the bubble and uh yeah, I was like, none of you have that. Like, so like, let's let's smoke the entire battalion. <laughs> you know, like I don't I don't see the premise in in dropping people for something they haven't had the opportunity to achieve. And if they don't achieve it, they're getting kicked out anyways. So I had a pretty strong opinion on that, and I, but I'm also have I I was very very young, with very little. What you, I mean, actually a lot of life experience when I look back on it at that time compared to the rest of the world. But when you're surrounded by absolute fire-breathing heroes and Americans, we're all the same. So my, my nucleus, my, my environment was just absolutely stellar humans and Americans. So what was normal for us was not normal for the rest of the world, if that makes yeah, sense. completely. I mean, it's like that in every <laughs> every unit. And it, it's not just special operations. It's like that in infantry units, mm -hmm. and you, you're surrounded by a bunch of individuals that are – you're not all the same, but you're accomplishing the same task or you're there for the same job, and you sort of create your own little nucleus, yeah. like your own little world, and everything outside of that doesn't really matter to you. And – yeah, it's different. When outsiders look in, they're like, oh, that's kind of 
weird or like the stuff that you guys do would not fly in the civilian world, but that's, that's part of the problem. I don't think I it's, think. I mean, yeah. I, well, I, I mean, getting out for veterans, getting out yeah, that is the issue. That right is an there. issue. Yeah. Right there. <laughs> but at the same time, I, I don't think it can be done any differently. I don't, I don't right. think you, you can't train people like that. And I'm talking mostly in, in uh, combat units as you know, like the infantry or special operations, you cannot run a corporate style structure and expect the same outcome when you go deploy these individuals to war. It's like, no, they have to have their own nucleus and their own, their own way of doing things because that's how they get the job done. For sure. And yes, it does not fit in well with the civilian population, but we're not meant to, we're not meant to go out there and, you know, uh, win hearts and minds of the, you know, even though that is like the green berets job, but even them, they, they have a tough job. So like they have to sort of switch back and forth um, from what I've seen. But as far as Rangers, SEALs, Marines, our job is to go and destroy, destroy, go kill the enemy. (laughs) And you cannot raise people up to do that and also expect them to go to a wine and cheese party and be like, you know, normal, normal. Yeah. You can't, you can't, what you're saying is you can't run, you can't run a group of men that are going to go to war, get deployed for war, like you would run a company or like you would run. It's been tried. It's been tried over the past ten years. It, uh, it, it quite literally, I have a very successful business, and one of the first things that I learned um, getting out of the military. Actually, I, I have a lot of very cool jobs, and I had a lot of very successful jobs while in the military. That leading up to where I'm now, and that was the hardest thing for me to learn was <laughs> leadership in Ranger Regiment and leadership in the corporate world. There are things that do apply. Work ethic, timeliness, sure. like execute, 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 and just run until someone pulls your leash back. Um, but if somebody messes up and launching into them <laughs> and destroying them, does not fly. That's a walking EO complaint right there. You know, every, you know, talking about what I did, you know, oh, no shit, there I was in the valley and we were just splitting skulls and, you know, there I had to go chop a dude's hand off to get biometrics and this, that, you know, like, people just go, oh my God, and you're going to lose them. You're going to, people are going to be like, my, my boss is a psychopath, you're opening yourself up for a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it doesn't, it doesn't fly. It just doesn't work. And, a lot of veterans can't see that because they've spent the majority of their life being around that. That's all they did. And there's no transition. I don't care what the military puts in place to get out of the military. Oh, cool. You, you taught me how to write a resume. Mm-hmm. You didn't teach me how to act. You're not sending me to etiquette school, you For know. Sure. For sure. And maybe maybe military's not the one to really do that like guys like you eddie and and private guys too helping yeah i mean they've created uh i mean at least before i got out they created um stuff like the honor foundation or little groups like that that tried to prepare guys to and it's like a three-month course i went to um it was once a week and you go there and it's really to get you know get guys jobs in the corporate arena um they they set up job interviews for you but at the same time they and even at that, they really don't go over like I think it's expected of you. Like, hey guys, you're now going into the civilian world. You know how to act, and it's like 
some of us do. I think some of us have that capability of like, okay, I, I know I shouldn't say certain things in social settings, right. right? Like I know that, but there are some people that don't. And they, and it's not the fault of their own either. I watch them. I'm like, that's how they're used to talking. They're used to being around their boys. They're used right. to just like letting loose and talking about what they want. And it's like, nope, that's not going to fly in the corporate world. Like people are going to look at you like you're insane. Yeah. Even though you could tell me the same story and I'd be like, yeah, of course, you know, yeah. it'd be normal. I just think they don't do a, and I don't even know if it's the military's job to do that. I mean, yeah. they do such right. a good job indoctrinating you into the military and then you're constantly getting indoctrinated as you go up through these pipelines, whether it's right. a ranger school or buzz or whatever else through your career, you're, you're constantly being indoctrinated into that group, uh, whatever you're joining next. So by the time you get out, you're like, Oh shit. Like, okay, I have, all of this, and you have a wealth of knowledge and experience, but you're, you are institutionalized. You are no different than a prisoner getting released out of prison 100%. after 20 years. Except, I mean, in that mind, the mindset, right? Like, a prisoner gets out and he's used to, I have my three square meals a day. I go to my cell. I do this. I, I'm used to living in this habitat of prison. And then you release them, and it's like, well go get a job and go do this. And it's like, yeah, there's going to be a really tough transition period. And it's no different from guys who spent, you know, however, how many years in the military, they have to be re-indoctrinated yeah. and sort of de-institutionalized a little bit 100%. to survive in a civilian world. And, you know, and I, it's not impossible. It's not a hard thing, but it is tough when you add on, all of the other things from from war that has yep. been going on, like yeah. TBIs, PTSD, this and that. So it's like you're expecting these individuals to to try and heal themselves through all this stuff that they've seen through the, their career and also sort of normalize themselves into civilian world, which is, I, in my opinion, it's asking a lot. Oh, yeah. You know, but at the same time, I'm also like it can be done. It's yeah. just you have to have the same attitude right. as when you went in which is like, I'm not going to quit. Like, right. yes, this sucks and it's going to be hard, but I have a no quit attitude. So, but what happened, I don't understand. And that's one of the arguments that I've always had is that what ha in today's society, veterans have become some of the most like, uh, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the, the word I'm trying to use, but the like me, 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 gimme, gimme. Um, well, to me, it's they they victimize themselves. They victimized, and they're they're oh, you know, I I I need this and I need that, and you know these these veterans today, it's like, dude, you were a green beret, dude, you were such mm -hmm. and such, you, you were this prestigious whatever it was, but yet you're being you're turning yourself into a victim, you're you're acting as though something is owed to you, and where did your perseverance go, dude? Like, uh. and I'm not one to talk because I can tell you right now, I mean, I had a suicide attempt a couple of years ago and, mm. you know, nobody could have talked me out of it. So, and that's part of like what my foundation is about is helping keep our brothers and sisters above ground. Actually, both my nonprofits are about that, but you're not going to save everybody because I, I don't, there's no nonprofit. There's nothing that would have been able to save me in that, in that moment, but we quit. And we use this self-loathing, woe is me, no joke, I saw this person die, I saw that person die. And don't get me wrong, I was the same guy, I did the same thing to some extent. But 
like we have to have some kind of well to me it doesn't help like when our society is lifting up victimization as it has been over the past five to ten years like the the more of a victim you are the better and the more attention you're going to receive and so you have that element going on in society at the same time you have these 20-year GWAT veterans getting out and then going into that society where, hey, the more of a victim you are, the more attention you're going to get. And I think some of the, some dudes sort of take that on and they're like, okay, well, this is how I'm going to succeed and woe is me. And I think it just gets into their own, I've seen it, it gets into their own, they get into their own head um, and it's like no matter what you do for that individual, and I do believe that veterans do need help like when they get out you can't just hey man figure it out right right we do need to have organizations like yours and there's so many others right that are there to sort of give them a helping hand and lift them up and be like hey man let's dust you off here's some things here's some tools that you can use going forward um call me if you need anything but at the same time it's like eventually dude you have to do this on your own like no one is going to hold your hand 24 7 and protect you because, oh, you've seen these bad things or these bad things happen to you, or now you can't find purpose. It takes time to do that. And I think that, you know, you got to, and I, I tell guys, I'm like, dude, you you had this mindset before you went to Bud's, before you went to these things. Like, you nobody could stop you. I'm like, harness, harness that. Right. And now use it again going, you know, after like, you get out. But I, a new chapter. Yeah. Like converted over to the private world. Well, I, I think of when you talk about institutionalized, I think of uh, Shawshank Redemption, Morgan Freeman yeah, coming out of right. prison for, I don't know, 40, 50 years or whatever he was. It's it's a lot like that. That's a great analogy. And he's like, he, Example. you know, there's cars. He, he didn't even have cars from back then or something right. like that. And he's like, this world is so busy and I'm just used to my regimented, you know, everything yeah. um, was this way. But I, I think... From the someone in the private world, though, I look at someone that was a combat veteran, and I it's not that I think they're a victim. It's I I feel I would be one to get sucked into that because I would think, man, I don't. This person put their life on the line for me and my country, and I would I would totally be the one that'd be like, hey, you want some money? Well, there want, and like, like, so <laughs> there there's that as well, right? You know? So there, there's all these great red-blooded American patriots that are like, hey, man, you served, you went to war, I want to bend over backwards and help you. Right. And I am I think every veteran should be grateful for that, that there are Americans like that. But at the same time, it's like, dude, you don't, you shouldn't be taking handouts, man. Like, you yeah. need to do it from the ground up. Yeah. Like, you can take a helping hand, like, hey, man, I'll help you do this, but to take a complete handout, and I think that's what, there's and I, I hate to say this and I don't want to go down a negative road, but there are veterans out there that abuse the system constantly. 100%. That are literally just go around from foundation to foundation to foundation, sucking up all the money, taking all the handouts, making up stories like they're like, Oh, I, I I did this and I did that and I'm broken and blah blah blah. So yeah, these people are like giving them, you know, the yeah. shirt off their back to help them and it's they're abusing the system when you do have actual dudes and i'll say from what i've seen since i got out the dudes that actually did a lot and gave everything and gave their soul to that job and to the gwat 
they are the last ones to ask for anything. Yep. Like they are the they are silent and they're like I'm not taking a handout even though sometimes I'm like dude you you should take this handout like mm-hmm. you should take something but you that's the difference right so you you have certain ve- the veterans abusing it and then you have certain veterans who are not taking advantage and they they sort of earned it you know mm-hmm. to right. to have a little bit and that's so, why I think it's good as a private citizen to have like like you Eddie like if someone is in the military a veteran and I want to help them. I would probably run it by you to have it run, run it by someone. Hey, is this really helping them? I, I always, we do that with our nonprofit. You have to vet people, you know, and we have people that come in. So to give you guys kind of in the listeners to, you know, I own, um, and I'm one of the founders and I'm the vice president of the rescue 22 foundation. And what we do is we provide service dogs to veterans at no cost to the veteran. Um, giving a little context to that. And the reason we got one of the reasons why we started Many years ago, in one of my bazillions of jobs that I did, trying to find my way when I grew up, um, I was in college. Um, I was working in the ER, um, and the v- I moved from Utah to be closer to my kids, and I came here, and I started going to college at Northwest Florida State College, and went to the VA. They're like, hey, go pee in this cup. Went to pee in the cup, and the guy come out, and he's like, dude, you... Um, the only thing in this cup is copious amounts of caffeine. You're not taking your meds. I was like, no, I'm totally taking my meds. He's like, no, dude, you're not. And I was like, all right, the gig's up. I'm lying through my teeth right now to this doctor. And he's like, well, if you don't take your, your meds, your AMA against medical advice, and we're going to pull your disability. And at the time I was like homeless, like going to college, sitting at the Panera over in, Fort Walton, getting free internet and going to the gym. And that's where I was showering and then going to college because I was going through my divorce. Literally had nothing. And so they're like, well, we got to figure something out. I was like, all right, well, give us about a week and we'll figure something out. So it took about a week and a half, two weeks. They get back to me and say, hey, we're going to give you a service dog. I was like, for me, I'm like, okay, wow, that's going to be awesome, right? It's free. I'm going to have a dog. That's cool. But I got to figure out my housing situation all this kind of jazz. <laughs> so so then I call this number that they gave me. I'll leave the company's name nameless. They're a local here. And they're like, oh, it'll be $32,000. I was like, what? <laughs> like, I don't have that kind of cash. Now, do service dogs actually cost that amount? Yeah, they do. They, wow. they really do. When you train that dog up to the veteran service. But what I learned very quickly in the dog industry is most of these companies don't actually train the dogs. They teach a dog to sit, they teach a dog to stay, but they don't do anything more. They don't actually train it to a physical disability that the ADA requires. Uh. Um, those are the guidelines and stuff. Um, so I, I ended up calling my best friend at the time and I said, Hey dude, I'm a, I'm a, between a rock and a hard place. I need a dog, but I don't have $32,000. He's like, and then boom, you know, rescue 22 was, underway and I was the first recipient of a dog from Rescue 22 Foundation uh, which having no idea at the time would spark my interest in dog training which then made me quit the medical industry which then ensued me starting to train dogs and my wife convincing me I needed to do it full time and now I own the largest indoor dog training facility on the eastern seaboard right here in Fort Walton Uh, that's over 12,500 square feet and so and then we have the nonprofit that's attached to it. So we're training f- between myself, John Devine, mm-hmm. former Navy SEAL out in California. Our two facilities are the two main campuses for our foundation, and we service veterans 
all over the United States. So I, I talk to these veterans and we see it and we vet, we have to vet, we have to vet the veterans because you will get guys, yeah. you know, that have just crazy stories or they weren't in the units that they said that they were in and they're just trying to get a free dog. Um, you know, it's everything we were just talking yeah. about. So there has to be checks and balances to figure that out. Do you run across that some, which you have some guy that's like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I was still team twenty or whatever. You know, and he like says the wrong thing and yeah. I mean, there's like there's dudes out there. I I haven't really ran into that many people like being imposters. I I ran into one here, like my first one, like a couple years ago. At oh, uh, told me about that at um Precision Tactical, and I was actually like an entertained i was like i wasn't even mad i was just like wow like this dude the dude was just kept Go telling me he was a seal and like nothing added up and of course i i was just playing with him you know giving him enough rope to hang himself like oh yeah like asking him the specific questions he should know the answers yeah. to and he was making stuff up and at the end of it i just was like hey man like yeah. i know you're not a seal dude i was yeah. like come on bro and he just looked at gave me a blank stare and i was like <laughs> All right, and I just like walked off because I can't. Have, you should have messed with them more. Get mad at like I'm I get you know people you. like throw fits like oh stolen valor and I'm like dude, right? There is nothing more depressing and worse than lying about who you are as an individual. So I don't need like I don't need yeah. to like sit there and demean you and yell at you like you're doing it to yourself, dude. Yeah, so you felt, I you felt bad for him. Yeah, I do. I sort of feel bad for those people because it's like gosh to to, to have that much low self-worth that you have to make up something about yourself and your identity has to be one of the most lowliest places on earth. So right. I feel bad for those. And even though I don't think what they're doing is right, obviously like if, and especially if they're getting money and yeah. stuff from that. But at the same time, I'm like, dude, I, there's nothing I can do to make you feel even worse than you are. So right. I just tell them, I'm like, Hey dude, come on, you know, the gig's up. And I just, you know, walked off. I, like, I used to see it a lot offshore. Like, so I was, one of the other jobs I had, I was a commercial underwater welder. So I would oh. go offshore and do all that hard hat diving, bottom walker type stuff. And, uh, dude, it was crazy the amount of, like, Navy SEALs. Like, I think every single Navy SEAL that's been come out of the military all works offshore. Every single one of them. What, diving? Yeah, they're all divers and they're all and they're all welders and they work offshore and they're all they, every single one of them. I, I don't, how many Navy SEALs were they? Were there in in history? I think. Oh, I don't I don't even know off the top of my head. There's not not many. There, yeah, there's. I mean, ten. It's 10, like fifteen thousand. Five percent, you know, of special operations or SEALs. Well, if so. there is only five or ten thousand Navy SEALs, I met all twenty five thousand of the. A thousand of them well, over the course. Your of first red flag was <laughs> your first red flag should have been most seals that get out aren't going to go Offshore. back in the water. <laughs> yeah. They're like, I want to get as far away from doing that job as possible. There are some outliers that, that love it and go do it, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> there was one he was actually a Navy SEAL, uh and uh, on the West Coast and older guy, nineties guy, didn't do the G Watt, but he was a sat diver. And he and I would just stare at each other. He never said anything. He'd hear him. He's like, he told me, he's like, dude, it's a, it's everywhere. You just get to a point where it's not even worth yeah. even addressing anymore. And we had one guy who was like, I was a Navy SEAL, and then I left the SEALs, and I was an Army Ranger, and then I was in Delta, and I'm like, 
like in no Shotgun history, horse. nobody, nobody in history would ever go from anywhere else in the military to be a ranger. Everyone leaves ranger battalion to go be something <laughs> else, right? It just doesn't <laughs> happen. It's like, no, sorry, dude. Yeah. Uh, so you, how long were you operational? Uh, from, t well, 2002, 2003 to 2007. 2007, yeah. is that when you, you got out? That's when I left Ranger Battalion, and then I was on the Silver Wings freefall team at Fort Benning, um, and then I was an instructor at uh, 6RTB and did uh, pre-scuba and taught pre-scuba for till I got out. Oh, nice. So when when did you get out? 2012. 2012? Yep. Okay, and then you said, obviously, transition was... Difficult. Yeah, it was super difficult. I um, ended up getting divorced, um, which ensued, and Hugh, which we were talking about right before we got on. Yeah. So I ended up getting accused of some pretty egregious accusations uh, from my ex-wife, and it took years to to overcome those. Um, she was accusing me of, you know, basically crimes against my children, uh, to put it lightly, and not to get too morbid but <laughs> that statement alone is not that not that light <laughs> yeah it's not it's it's and it was it was everything yeah. you could think of and you know in the world of law and as you well very well know you are guilty till proven innocent yep and um it was horrible it was local here in in Destin Florida and I was spit on had human fecal matter thrown at me in a church parking lot um, like As in all seriousness, Jesus directed them to do that <laughs> yeah, in the name of God, <laughs> you know, um, it was, it was pretty wild. Um, and it was probably one of, I, I couldn't find a job, couldn't get a job because I was going to court so much, having to talk to investigators. Um, and of course, eventually everything came out, you know, that she was co coercing the girls, the girls ended up admitting it. She was found guilty of perjury. Um, but at which point my credit was shot, everything was destroyed. My second marriage was on the rocks at that point because that's how long it took. So we got her divorce. Yeah. The accusations continued even through the divorce <clears throat> into my next marriage, which was several years later. So I was already remarried, um, had a son. Now that was getting drug into it. When I got remarried, it made her angry. So she kicked up all those accusations again. Uh, which didn't take long. This time I'm like, great, I'm going to go through another four years of hell. Nope, took 90 days. They already knew, <laughs> they knew her MO. It was really bad for her that time. But my second wife, <laughs> God bless her soul, she was like, I'm, I'm done with this. I cannot continue to live my life with someone who's going to continue to do this to us. And um, Referring to your ex-wife. Yeah, my second ex-wife. Uh, we're still friends. Everything's great. That divorce was extremely normal and like we're all friends she's got she's remarried has her uh has two new kids uh has my son we're all actually friends it's amazing i wish everybody could endure a divorce divorce like that um but yeah it was it was absolutely atrocious and then but while i was in that marriage um made some bad business decisions because i went from Everything became was about money, right? So I had to make a lot of money because I had almost like a half a million dollars worth of legal bills that I had to go after, and I didn't have a way to pay for it. So all my jobs had to be like six-figure jobs. I couldn't just have an, 
just work my way up in a job. So that's why I was like underwater welder. That's why I was looking at contracting and did contracting. And that's why I did this. And that's why, you know, cause it was all these high yielding jobs, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it, it got to a point where I was like, I, I'm a horrible husband. I can't financially provide for my family. Um, I was dealing with a lot of internal PTSD cause I was the typical suffer in silence, which all you veterans out there, you need to stop suffering in silence and reach out for help if you need it. Um, I understand it, but it, it's stupid and it doesn't make you weaker of a human to ask for help. Um, but I, I was that guy and I went out to East Jetty Pass right out here in Destin, took all the medication, which is why I don't take any medication from the VA down to every single bit of it. Mm. And right before I, and I, I wrote this suicide note, I keep it on my phone for all the rough times and remind myself of what I'm fighting for, why I would never do that again. And I went unconscious and not to wake up. Now, leading up to that moment, my thought, I was like, oh, this is going to be great. You know, it's over. I'm going to take the long nap. And then it was immediate terror. Felt my heart rate slowing. <clears throat> Felt my heart rate slowing. And I looked up at the stars and I said, what have I done? I'm about to leave my kids. I'm about to leave. And then some other dude's going to be responsible for this. And I went unconscious. And I woke up <laughs> with a hoopty tan, hood rat tan, five tones, because <laughs> the sun came up and it was now setting again. So I was baking in the sun all day. Um I woke up with pills stuck to my face, vomit all over the place, and this badass sheriff, uh, he was from the 82nd, because I remember seeing his bracelet. He had a KIA bracelet with the 82nd Airborne patch on it, and he was sternum rubbing me, and he sat there for like two and a half hours. We just talked. He's like, you know, I, I'm supposed to like bake correct you, right? And I was like, I'd really prefer that, not that. He said, well, I won't do it, but you got to promise me you're going to get help. And I was like, I, I, I genuinely promise. And I literally that next day after I had the worst hangover of my life for the next 24 hours, I went to, uh, the VA started, I, I don't know how I ended up, but I got a unbelievable counselor, talked everything out, started getting help, stopped all my medication, got off that medication, got mentally right. And then read at that point, read like, got a different azimuth on my life because I realized that my life was self-serving and for everyone else, but myself and was self-serving. Like I had to make money, 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 more money. And it wasn't about anyone else other than that. Mm. And so I, I started working for a company, a nonprofit called GSMSG, which is the global surgical medical support group. And I started going over to our partner nations and teaching people TCCC and how to save themselves in combat and tactics and stuff and um, going to these war zones for free and wasn't taking a a paycheck. I'd work my butt off to go do those things. And then I started going to college to join the medical industry, um, which I love outside of the U.S. I don't love it in the U.S. That's a whole other subject, but (laughs) I actually left that because... We're a very selfish society in the U.S. Um, and then, you know, 
became a dog trainer of all things. I would have never thought in my wildest imagination that I would end up training dogs uh, as a profession and then the plethora of other stuff that I do. You Were you a dog handler? No. Okay, so that's so you weren't a dog handler in no. the Ranger Regiment? Or, nope. Okay. They didn't have dogs when I was at Ranger. They they, when I left Ranger Regiment, they were standing up the dog program. Okay, so this is just something that you were like, hey, I'm going to dive into this. I did. I got a dog. Um so when they when I initially got my first dog, uh, I wanted to start training him because I saw the process, all that stuff. And then my best friend owned uh, a company, and I started mentoring underneath him, and I was really good at it. So I was like, "Well, I'm going to start doing it on my part time." So I started doing it, started making quite a bit of money. Um, and I was, my now wife, a time girlfriend, she's like, "Dude, you need to like do this full time. We could do this full time, and if we put all of our." eggs in this basket i'm sure this would yield very well and it did and i went from my backyard to a twelve thousand five hundred square foot facility and a uh, seven figure business in the matter of about two years and yeah and and the only way i can describe our success uh isn't just an awesome team but god himself being on the right path doing the right thing for the right purpose here you go here's your blessing because now you're doing what i want you to be doing versus what you want to be doing that's a huge thing in my opinion is like when you're doing what you want to be doing things won't be as successful i'm not saying they won't be successful they won't be as successful if you're doing what god wants you to do because if you're doing what god wants you to do and you're on the path that god wants you on then he can say here's my full blessing do you think after your suicide attempt when you obviously you're at a very low low point even afterwards when that uh sheriff found you do you th- think you found god there like sort of a re reinvigorated a relationship with him yeah <laughs> absolutely because like and i've been asked this question a few times like like what was I, like after i went unconscious it was dark it was cold um there's nothingness you know um everyone's like oh you're gonna see a light at the end of the tunnel and i mean i know people have had that experience that wasn't mine it was dark it was scary um there were no dreams it was it was genuinely terrifying mm-hmm. um and i wouldn't say I, I i wasn't reinvigorated i i knew that i wasn't on the right path and i wasn't doing the right things so in my brain it was like i feel like i was either in holding to go to hell <laughs> Or I was, that was, you know. (laughs) Purgatory. Purgatory, you know, it was, it was pretty, it was a pretty terrifying, literally it was like being in a box. It it was, you know, I had nowhere to go. Like I was just there and, you know, there was nothingness. And in some sense, yeah, I, I was, I was, it was reinvigorated, but really what invigorated my, my my relationship with God was actually ayahuasca. Okay. So I did an ayahuasca retreat a few months back, and that was probably the most defining spiritual moment of my life, was going and doing an ayahuasca retreat, because that that opened my eyes to a whole, I mean, literally, 
called the third eye. Like that opened me up to just because that there it, there was something tangible there. Because when I was dying, um, I had nothingness. Yeah. So that I wasn't really able. I knew that I needed. I knew. I know there's a God. I've always known that. I, I was raised very spiritually and, and religiously. So. Yeah, I, I wouldn't per se say it. It did, but it didn't. If that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I think. You know, you're in that darkness, but then it sort of gave you a path forward of like, I need to better myself. And right. you said it before, like I need to do it by serving others, not serving myself. Self. Right. Yeah. And, and that's what I did. I did a lot of, it was a lot of self-service stuff. Even in the military, it's the military was like all, and that was one of the biggest things I had after my suicide was realizing even my military career was self-serving. Uh-huh. Like, you know, SEALs go through a pipeline. You get Halo school, you get dive school, you get all these schools, right? And then there's a few schools that you don't, that aren't in your pipeline, like sniper school, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not, it's not a part of their pipeline. Well, in Ranger Regiment, everything is earned. You want to go to hail school, it's earned. You want to go to dive school, it's earned. You go to range school, it's earned. Like, and you don't do anything before you go to ranger school. So you have to fight for all of these schools to go to. And it's always the next bigger and better school you can go to that you can puff your chest out and do whatever, right? And that's not a, it creates an extremely toxic environment, right? Um, And then, of course, I left the military and it was the same thing, you know, Commercial dive was about money and prestige. Um, the medical industry was a little bit of, was a little bit about that, um, not as much. But you know now, you know my life was then put on trajectory. It was all about the client, all about their dog, all about a better relationship and bettering that animal's life, bettering that that mm-hmm. veteran's life, bettering that person's life, um, and it had nothing to do with me, yeah, <clears throat> whatsoever. One one of the things I love about um, I'm I'm involved twelve in step programs. Okay, and so one of the things I love about twelve step programs is it's it's not it's not defining God for you. It's it's basically saying going through the twelve steps that there is a God and it's not you, right? And right. so, like throughout my life, my experience was I was always my own God in a sense, right? And even though if you asked me when I was younger are you a Christian? I'd say, yeah, but I don't want to talk about it. Right. right. Like, <laughs> right. Yes, I believe, but I don't want to talk about it. But when I had my experience with him, when he blew me up, it was that day I realized, holy shit, there's I actually, he's actually real. And I didn't know him before previous to that. I didn't really know God. Right. Like I, I I'd say, I believed I'd say, Yes, there is one, you know, whatever. But I didn't really know him. Right. Do you think, like, through this, it's like when you when you took the pills and tried to commit suicide, that you came to the realization that man, I didn't, I don't really know him. Like, I I, I know there is no. one, but I mean, the problem is, is that when I my mental state, um was so egregious and was so I don't care who you were there's nobody that could have talked me out what I was doing when it happened it was like I just walked in the bathroom I grabbed all my medications I walked out of the house and at the time my wife uh 
I had no idea where I was. Like she had called all the hospitals, the hotels, trying to find me. And they had no clue where I was. Um, I didn't, and there were no precursors. It was just, I'm done with the failures. I'm, I'm just checking out. I'm done. Wrote this extremely long suicide note on my phone, sent it out, you know, and thank God it didn't send out because it got stuck in my outbox. And I was like, probably would have been a lot worse than what it was. But, um, it, it, it really, it's, it, my, what happened was something that I, it's hard to describe because that's, and again, it's like, you can't, I felt alone. Mm-hmm. Um, God, I felt God had left me. Uh, I, f- I felt like nobody else in the world had the problems that I was going through. It didn't help that I did. I mean, I hate to say this, this is like the first time I've probably ever said this, but I think probably social media may have helped me because if I was following the right algorithm and self-help, I would have seen that other people were going through the same mm-hmm. things. <clears throat> and it's why January of last year, when one of my dear friends, Neil Curry, um, killed himself, I... It was like, that's it. Something inside of me broke. I've lost more friends to suicide than I have in combat now when he passed. And I was like, I'm done holding these stories inside of me and all of these like private struggles that and my ex-wife accused me of this. I don't care how embarrassing something is. It doesn't matter. I need to let people know my financial struggles, my homelessness, the, the false accusations, the... My, sh- my, my, the best worst military career I could have ever asked for. I'm super proud of what I did, but I also was my own worst enemy. Like all these things, because I don't know who's going to hear this. And if it, one person DMs me and says, bro, I was thinking about offing myself, which is what happened. I was on a big energy podcast at, on shot show and like a whole slew of people reached out to me and were like, dude, I was literally scrolling and I was going to off myself like tonight and I'm not now because of your story. And I was like, whoa, like this needs to happen more. We need to be reaching out to our brothers and sisters and letting them know, hey, you are not. And through the process of that, I found I became closer to God. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you're serving, you're serving others yeah. and helping others through your struggle. Absolutely. It's funny, like, <clears throat> listen, you have, it, it reminds me of a, uh, I went to Catholic school or Catholic high school for a bit before I was booted. But I remember this religion teacher sort of described us what heaven and hell was. And so he said, you know, hell is, there's this big, huge round table and everyone's sitting around it. And there's like this, the best food you can think of in the middle of the table, like everything. It's just like the most delicious like food that anybody's ever wanted. And everybody on the outside that's sitting on the outside of the table have their arms or spoons like these long, like they don't have hands or it's just a huge spoon that can reach into that, into the food. But yet everybody at that table in hell is starving and they're all, they're all yelling at each other, you know, fighting each other. And it's because they cannot bring the spoon to their, their mouth. Right. Because it extends so long. And he's like, that's what hell is. Everyone's trying to feed themselves. Like heaven is the same exact scenario except everybody is fat, happy, and full and laughing because they are feeding the person next to them with their hand. 
So they're serving each other. And I was like, Ooh, that, that's a good, that's well, a, that's just, it, as you were talking, it sort of reminded me of that. And I'm like, and yeah, that's a perfect description. It's like, you will find God once you stop trying to serve yourself and start serving others. And, but you need to seek God out every day, every to, day. to do that. Like that every is, morning you need to ask him, how can I best serve my family, my friends, my community, you know, show me that, you know, I don't know the way. But show me, and he always does in some form or fashion. Like through that day, you end up helping somebody else. Um, so yeah, let's. And that's and it was, it's crazy because you know I, I have so many business examples where it's like, and you've seen me do it. Like I'm like, hey, yeah, if you ever need any help, let me know. And I tell people stuff like that. I'll I'll train people's dogs for free. I do stuff all the time if I see an opportunity where someone genuinely needs help, or you know, or hey, I need this, or hey. Can, can you and I'm like yeah don't worry about it and they're like are you sure and I'm like yeah and through that either an opportunity to share the word of God and or an astronomical business opportunity presents itself comes available because of your selflessness mm-hmm. in that moment because your your my objective is not to take somebody's money my objective is to there may be a little bit of self-serving you know it's like yeah, if you want me to help you shoot and learn to shoot, yeah, what, what's self-serving about that? I love to shoot, so I'm going to get to go to the range, and now it's an excuse for me to go sling some lead um, and teach somebody something that I absolutely love. Uh, but that's as far as that self-servingness goes. It's not, yeah. you know, so, um, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting how that works. When you get out of your own way, right, like when you start, stop looking at, when I stop looking at myself, and begin to just look to others and, and using what God gives you to help others and right. focus in on them, that, like, the other stuff kind of falls in place. It's not a uh, prosperity, you know, like, hey, you go and you serve other people, you're just going to become multi-multi-millionaire, blah, blah, blah. It's like, man, some of the biggest blessings are how you feel inside, like that freedom of being so self-focused of right. trying to make money, trying to make money. It's like that, that that stuff just comes along. Your bills get paid. The things happen. Everything begins to fall in line. Absolutely. I had one of the, it was really crazy. I had gotten um, behind on child support. This is obviously post suicide several years. I was just getting into the dog stuff and I was almost completely 100% debt free. Um, and because of my court battle, I had some child support issues going on there. And, you know, I was like just putting every last dollar I could. And all of this, I'm like, I'm like, I'm all up to date. And all of a sudden I got this letter in the mail out of nowhere. And it was like, you owe so many hundreds of dollars to child support. And if you don't pay, you're going to lose your driver's license. And I'm like, that makes no sense. What are you kidding me? And I was like, I didn't have a paycheck coming in, uh, for a certain amount of time. And I'm like, this is insane. And I'm like, where, and I'm like looking at all my stuff and I'm like, you know, I'm a, I'm for the most part a minimalist. I'm like, I don't really have anything I can sell. Hmm. And like, all right. And I, I, it was bad. My wife, uh, she was still active duty air force and it's not her responsibility. So I wasn't going to burden her with it. She's gone. Uh, I dropped on my knees and I was like, God, I don't know what to do. Like, I need you to provide for me now. And I need something 
fast. And I was like sitting there and there was a knock on my door. And I'm literally in the, my living room in Ranger panties, no shirt. <laughs> so, I'm like looking at my watch. It's like 9 30, 10 o'clock in the morning. He's like, hey, I have uh, some certified mail for you. And I'm like, okay. So I signed for it. I open it up and it's a check for, and it was shy like $50 and 23 cents, something like that. I, I don't remember the exact number. And I was like, Oh my God. And I saw like, I literally like started to cry. I'm like, thank you. What amazing response time, you know? And I was like, I'm like, now I got to figure out only $53. This is amazing. Couldn't really figure it out. I was like, Hey, I was going to, I was like, I was contemplating talking to my wife. And right before she got home, uh, I got another knock on the door and they had wrote, written the check wrong and the $50.53, the exact amount that I needed came that afternoon. That's pretty wild. And I was like, well, if you don't believe in God, there you have it. Like, the, to the penny, it was unbelievable. And I, and then at that point, I was telling my, my wife, I was like, you're not going to believe this. She's like, are you serious? I'm like, here's the letter. Here's the check that came in today. Do the math for me quickly seriously do the math i'm a ranger i can't do, i can't count it, you know? so, are we good are we good you know? so, but i was like whoa and and it was all good everything was good and then to come to find out that the letter was not as bad as it seemed and it was like a warning and it was just it, it auto produced and i had freaked out for nothing but i gave it to god and god quite literally came through in a timely fashion to that's the penny. Wild. That's so wild. It's, that's awesome. Yeah. So you the you have the uh twenty two, right? Yeah, Rescue, Rescue Foundation. And then what else? You're you're part of some a couple other foundations, right? So only one other. So we just started Hunters and Heroes. Yeah. So uh, yeah, explain that. So that's a derivative of kind of the stories. So there are so many things out there for veterans. Uh, I mean, there's hundreds of organizations. Um, five more could come up tomorrow, and there's still not enough. I wanted to start something that was, one, unique, uh, that told a story, and also helped people get into uh, hobbies, excuse me, that would they would otherwise not have an opportunity to do. Um, and, and learn, you know, at the same time. And so after the podcast um, in January that I did where everyone was like, oh, my God, like your story helped me, I was like, well, I know there's more people out there. Uh, but I didn't want it to be veteran-centric. And I was sitting doing my normal Sunday thing, which is watching hunting shows. <laughs> and <laughs> I, yeah, meat eater, to be exact. Um, and I was like, man, you know, I really love this, but it's, you know, always the same thing for the most part, right? Um go out, they're hunting an elk, they're hunting a ram, you know, the game changes, but uh, the premise doesn't, right? It's like, what if we have, like, a Sean Ryan meets meat eater, and we're telling a story while they're on the hunt, they're talking about it, we have a moment where we're standing, sitting around a fire, and we podcast that up, and we mic them up, and we talk about the taboo items that we never talk about, their suicide attempts, their alcoholism, their substance abuse problems, their marriage fallacies there are all these things that got 
they're the stuff that's bad that nobody ever wants to talk about. But then we talk about also how they are able to overcome and persevere through those things. And it's not just veterans. We're talking to people like nurse practitioners, police officers, firefighters, doctors, flight nurses, teachers. Because a hero is not centric to anything. A hero could be literally anybody. Um, and PTSD is not centric to us veterans. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'd hate to say it, like one of the uh, flight nurses that um, we did a service dog for, there are no nonprofits out there for them to be able to get service dogs or get really a lot of help that I know of. If there is, please let us know um, so I can put it out to the world. But he told a story about having to respond to a child who reached up while its mom was cooking and poured hot boiling oil all over the top of them. And when he, when they landed the, the life flight on the, uh, cul-de-sac, the baby ran out of the house, um, cause the mom couldn't hold the baby when they were, and all of the skin sloughed off, he said. And its facial, all of its nose and ears were gone. And in its last breath, it said, save me. And the child died in his arms. It broke me. And I mean, I have very similar stories that happened to me in combat. But this happened in the United States, right? So for me to go and say, I'm, my PTSD is different than his PTSD is pretty, pretty asinine. Like, that's insane. And I like, that's one story of his. Like, he had tons more that he told me over the course of our time and he's actually a really good friend of mine now and has been but i can't imagine what these firefighters and some of these guys see at car accidents and stuff Mm -hmm. like that and there's nothing out there for them and not to mention they get paid shit so they them to for them to go on an elk hunt or for them to go have an experience like that, that normally costs because they have to get travel, they have to get out there, pay for the tags, all that stuff. There's nothing out there for them to get to do that and get away and to actually heal. So I was like, well, I want to start a TV show that does that, a podcast TV show and a nonprofit that's going to take these guys out. And they don't have to, like, tell their story. Mm -hmm. They don't have to um, do that. You know, that's up to them if they want to share that. But I definitely encourage that. And so we are in the process. It's, it's an actual nonprofit. We just started uh, planning for our first five heroes to go out on uh, hunts. Um, we have some amazing title sponsors, Half Ace Blaze, Andrew uh, Bito, our um, Bito. Uh, the man. Bito, the man. He's, he's one of our title sponsors. Um He's making an eye for every hero that goes out on a hunt to commemorate so that cool. hunt. It's so, so cool. cool. So cool. Like, he didn't even hesitate. Such an awesome dude. Uh, we have um, Seekins Rifles. We have, um, uh, and a few other, forgive me, I'm, I'm drawing blanks right now, but that are helping us, Vortex, uh, that are all helping this actually come to fruition. And it's pretty amazing the overwhelmingness that we had people to start donating money to make these productions happen to get these stories out there for them to enjoy watching an awesome hunt with an awesome story to go with it have you been so have you been doing this yet or is this taking one Mm -hmm. one person out um how'd that that go amazing which is so cool because the individual had never been hunting 
in general. Yeah. Uh, other than overseas <laughs> humans. So and it was something that he got to do. His name was Jonathan Belton. He was a, um, a recon Marine and he got to go on a uh, hunt with Rome Fitzpatrick with legendary Ro- uh, Rome's legendary outdoors, which I'm sure, you know, Rome. Yeah. and it, was just so awesome and he's like you just created an entire hobby for me <laughs> did you find that he was able to like open up um Immensely. in that environment absolutely like it's just one of those it's even while even with the you know cameras and everything <laughs> like he just i think that's that is huge uh getting them in an outdoor environment um relaxed having a purpose which is hunting the animal but then also i mean i'm sure you take away all distractions like phones and this and that. I mean, that right there is step number one of like, Hey, you want to start healing, remove distractions and then get them doing something that's purposeful, which is hunting, which is also something that they're accustomed to. Even though this guy, I was the same way. Like I had never been hunting until I got out. Right. And the first time I went, I was like, Oh, I feel like me again. Like I feel a part of me again that I, you know, Thought was gone, which is right. like I'm hunting something. I have a purpose, yep. um, but then, simplicity of it. Yes, and you also have no distractions. Uh, my my phone was gone for a week, and you literally, I came out of that week. This the first time I went hunting. I'm like, dude, I I feel like a new man again. You right, know? and so I that is awesome. That's a great concept as taking those guys and putting them in that environment. But at the same time, you know, getting them to open up and tell their stories because right. you know. Believe it or not, and like just like you said before, I mean, when I got out, that's sort of what helped me too. And I, I hate, I don't like saying social media is like a good thing because, but it is. There's good and bad from it, but the right. good, the good part of it, especially with like podcasts or you know certain people you follow, if people are out there telling their stories and like, dude, this is what I'm going through. Believe me, it resonates with more people than you know uh, oh, yeah. because we all deal with the same. Thing. It doesn't matter if you're a veteran, first responder, law enforcement, firefighter. Our jobs are to go into traumatic situations, mm-hmm. do our job, and then, you know, and then do expect to be do it again the next day, right? Yep. Um, which a lot of us hold that baggage in. Yep. Um, and so... Suffer in silence. Exactly. So it does take uh, people to be more outspoken and be like, dude, yeah, this is what I suffer from. Um, and be vulnerable. And I've had the same experience too, as you did where people have come up to me like, dude, I was thinking about taking my life and I listened to your podcast and it helped me, you know, push forward, which to me, I mean, I almost started, that was that shot show as well uh, last year. And it was like some young, it was a young kid, 20 something years old. Yeah. Like I almost started crying right there just cause it's like, so it's overwhelming to know that like your voice made a difference and someone else into someone else, like someone who had no clue. You're like, dude, that is in a completely different part of the country. And it's not even, the dude wasn't even a veteran. He was, I, a, he was a young child. Yeah. And so that right there is huge. And, and I think there needs to be more of that. Man. And that's crazy. I mean, they're so young Yeah, to, to have experienced, you know, something in life that traumatic, that makes them think that the, and this, if there's one thing I can say, a permanent solution to a, let me tell you, a very temporary problem is not the answer. And you guys out there have to understand is that I can promise you, no matter how bad it is, I was accused of sexually harming my daughters 
I was accused of all kinds of crap to include financial stress, to include my PTSD from the military, to include all these things, right? I was able to overcome all of that tenfold and become successful. But if I had succeeded at killing myself in 2014 or 15, whatever it was, I, I wouldn't be where I am today. Mm -hmm. I would have, I was choosing a permanent solution for an extremely temporary problem and okay, I know that a couple years may be, you know, seem like a long time, but in the scheme of your life, it's this much. It's it, you know maybe even this much. You know, it, it's you don't know what's around the next corner. And what's so awesome about life is that when you start living for purpose and the correct purpose, you don't know what's around that next corner. And this last four months, I've had so many astronomical opportunities that have been dropped in my lap that just are unbelievable blessings that I was like, well, where did this come from? You know? So if you choose that permanent solution for that temporary problem, you're never going to get to experience that. Yeah. You never know how many people you're going to help and affect. I think a lot, there's a lot of young guys that are kind of purposeless, directionless. You know, and then they look to you, Eddie, they look to you and, and they're like, man, like your words can make such an impact on them, you know? It, it's, it, and I, I feel blessed that Eddie and I both have platforms that get to combat this, number one. And number two is, you know, helping people understand that, you know, when you make a decision like that, after you're gone, the problems that you were suffering from before you've now transferred given, over to trans your children, yeah. your wife and the people that love you, the very people you think that don't love you now have to bear the burden for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. And you've created generational, a, a generational demon because if you have children, they're going to go, well, my mom or my dad did it. Well, there's a study. Yeah. It's like, if your parents, one of them had killed suicide, you're more likely yep. to do so when get older as well that's right um, it's the same thing like with divorce right like if your parents are divorced you're more likely to not take marriage as a sanctity and get divorced yeah. as well because that's what you've raised with and seen so right. yeah you're right that's it's a very and i i have like my my emotions ebb and flow on suicide because i'm the same way like i have i've had more friends now you know take their lives and you know at first it was like over the past five years you're like dude you know you you feel bad and you're like, is there, you know, something I could have done or right. this and that. But then after so many dudes do it, I just started getting angry and I'm like, you, you're such a pussy dude. Like why? Like, right. But that's not the right answer either. Like there has to be a happy medium because it is, it does make me angry when guys do it. And it's not even guys that I know. It's like other dudes I see veterans taking their lives. I'm like, what you, that is like the most selfish act on the planet because yep. you now have just transferred all of your pain onto your friends and family. And there wasn't, there was hope. There was an answer. You could have fixed yourself, but you know, I have to like sort of keep myself from taking that sort of negative aggressive approach. And oh, it's yeah. like, okay, well, what can we do? Like, then you have to problem solve. Like, how can we mitigate this from happening? And yep. I mean, I, I love the way, you know, from what you're doing, 
you know, from speaking out. I have my friend Johnny Wilson, who uh, we just yeah. did that big race, but it was to promote his app um, for to mitigate veteran suicide, which I think is huge. But that's sort of the step we all need to go into. Instead of being uh, emotionally reactionary to everything, we have to sit back, just like we do when planning an operation. It's like, okay, we have these issues on target. Like, how can we best approach this to mitigate you know, risk to ourselves, but also right. accomplish the mission and execute the enemy, right? And that's it. That's, I think we have to treat... What's the why? Yes, we have to treat the veteran suicide epidemic the same way, um, you know. So, I mean, I'm I'm glad you're out there doing it, you know, and I'm glad I'm glad to see other individuals sort of opening up and talking about it. And, yeah, it's, uh, it's not, it's, and again, like I've said a hundred times, you know, it's, it's not centric to just veterans. You know, we've got, mm-hmm. we've got first responders and people who are killing themselves at just a high rate as, as our veterans are. It's just, we're just in the limelight more because we just walked out of the longest war in history and, uh, and, and it's going to get worse for us because of how we walked out of the war. Um, you know, but don't worry you guys out there, there's going to be another one soon. So <laughs> unfortunately war is inevitable It is inevitable. Yeah. So, Hey, thank you so much, man. You came, the listeners don't know this, but you, you dropped everything at like have We literally texted you like five days ago or so. And you were like, Hey, day after Christmas, I'll be there. Yeah. You know? And uh, coming in and and sharing stuff, I hope a lot of people get a lot from this. Yeah. I hope so, too. And I'll say this, dude. I I spent that two weeks with you, and, yeah, you are a loud mouth. Yeah. uh, For sure. (laughs) But what hit hit me, hit home to me is uh, on the graduation day when you guys were done, I saw you with your family and your daughters and the way that you you treated them and the way, like, just the love they had for you. And honestly, that's what I was like, this dude's a good dude, man. I appreciate that. And that's how I, I judge a lot of people was how they act around their families and how their families treat them. Man. And I saw it. You're a good human being. And so I appreciate that. I appreciate you coming on here and sharing your story. Absolutely. Brother. I appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> All right. Out. Out.